On this Baptist Men's Day at Jonesboro Heights Baptist Church, it is my privilege to introduce to you Mr. Don Payne, who will deliver our sermon this morning. Mr. Payne is a school administrator at Lee Christian School with an enrollment of over 400 students located on Keller Andrews Road here in Sanford. It may be one of the best kept secrets in Sanford. But Mr. Payne was reared in Macon, Georgia. He is a devout Christian husband, father, grandfather, and educator. He earned his master's degree in Christian school administration from Bob Jones University. Uh, he has dedicated 40 years of his life to Christian education. Mr. Payne, this congregation welcomes you to this pulpit at Jones Bar Heights Baptist Church this morning. Thank you, Avron. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today with you. Being behind a pulpit is not my normal ministry because for the last 40 years, as Avron has said, I have served the Lord in Christian education as a teacher, a coach, an athletic director, and an administrator. Today, I have a very rewarding ministry as the head of school at Lee Christian School here in Sanford. I'm a blessed man. I've been married to my wonderful wife, Linda, for almost 41 years. We have a three adult children who are all happily married, and we have eight wonderful grandchildren. Could you open up with prayer with me, please, before we open up God's word? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to share together the fellowship of your word. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would take our worship, because, Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your love to us. Open our hearts as we open your word. Amen. Now, many of you have seen, how many of you have seen the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens? I personally enjoy Star Wars movies. I remember back when my wife and I went to see the original Star Wars movie back in May of 1977. Wow, that's almost 39 years ago. We took our first son, Brian, with us. Now, taking a three-month-old is usually not a really good idea. We did it because back in those days, we could not afford both the cost of the movie and the babysitting on top of it. So we took him. To our amazement, Brian sat perfectly still and watched the entire movie without making a, a noise at all. He was just fascinated with the movie. Ever since that time, Brian has always been an avid Star Wars fan, and it actually paid off really big for him. He met his future wife, Sarah, for the very first time, standing in line to get tickets to the midnight showing of the Attack of the Clones, which came out back in 2002. Now they are married with four kids, and when The Force Awakens came out a few weeks ago, my wife and I babysat their youngest while Brian and Sarah took their three boys, and they all loved the movie. Now, George Lucas' Star Wars saga is pure fantasy. Fantasy can be fun and harmless. Unfortunately, in our society today, many people are chasing after every type of falsehood and rejecting truth and have turned their backs on the one and only source of truth, and that is God's word. 
Today, there is a very real battle going for the hearts and minds of our young people and for the beliefs that make up the fabric of our society. Actually, we should not be surprised because scripture has predicted this. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Verse 3 starts out by saying, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itchy ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into their myths. Boy, does that really describe our society today or what? Paul goes on to exhort Timothy in verse 5 by saying, As for you, Christians, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. God is telling us as believers, it is our turn to get into the battle and stand firm on God's word without apology. Now, let's look and see where this battle started. Turn to Genesis 1-1 with me. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was just God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God in his own time created the heavens and the earth. Then he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Drop down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Everything was good. Everything was perfect on earth. Now let's go back even further in time, to an unknown time, but a time spoken of by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you have fallen from heaven, old, old morning star, son of the dawn. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount assembly. I will make myself like the most high. Lucifer's fall from grace was due to pride and rebellion. <clears throat> he wanted to be like God. God, was, God put down Satan's rebellion by casting Lucifer and his followers out of heaven and down to Sheol. Lucifer went from being a source of light, the morning star, the sun of the dawn, to being a source of darkness. As Lucas would put it, Lucifer went over to the dark side. However, this is no fantasy. Please turn back to Genesis 3.1. As the story continues, here we are in the Garden of Eden, where the real battle of good and evil and of truth and falsehood plays out for the first time on earth. Let's see how that first sin came about. It started when Satan caused Eve to question God's word. 
Adam and Eve were in the garden enjoying God's blessing. Satan knew he could not stand up to God. He'd already tried that. So he goes after God's creation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Here you can see Satan just interjects doubt into Eve's mind. How about you? Do you find yourself doubting God's faithfulness? Wondering if God will come through and do what he promises in your life? Causing people to doubt God is one of Satan's most effective weapons. Just doubt. Then Satan aggressively lies about what God said and about his character. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. You surely will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Just out and out lied to her. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how Lucifer enticed Eve in the very same sin that caused his own fall, wanting to be like God. Unfortunately, Eve believed Satan and chose not to believe God. Again, Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. Adam and Eve walked with God daily in the garden. So why didn't Eve just take God at his word? She had no reason not to. Why do we doubt God? Has God ever let you down? Has God ever gone back on his promises with you? <clears throat> Often we choose not to believe God because it simply, simply does not make sense to us. If a biblical truth or principle doesn't make logical sense to us, we, we tend to choose to ignore it Take tithing. Many refuse to obey God's commandment because they do not trust God's provision and it doesn't make sense to give up 10% of their paycheck. <clears throat> and if that describes you needing everything to make sense, there are some great verses recorded in Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 that give us some incredible insights into what God is like. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Do you know what those verses mean to me? They tell me that God has a way of doing things that don't always fit into my little box of how I think things should be done. He doesn't ask my opinion sometimes. It is because, according to verse 8, God does not 
think like we think. In fact, he has thoughts and ways and ideas on life that are totally different than our thoughts and ways and ideas on life. For example, back in 2007, soon after I had taken the position as the head of school at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, one of my fifth grade teachers and her husband lost their only son just four hours before his 10th birthday. A week earlier, this nine-year-old was a strong, healthy, active boy who loved to play hockey. He was a gifted little athlete. What started as a simple fever and a trip to the family doctor ended in the ICU at the Big Wake Hospital. He passed away despite the best efforts of some of the best doctors in our area. After Drew died, his mom and dad and two older sisters sat around his bed, weeping. At midnight, they sang happy birthday to Drew. Then they prayed and they thanked the Lord for the time they had with Drew in their lives. Watching this family mourn so deeply before my own eyes absolutely crushed my spirit. Frankly, I questioned God in my own heart. Why did not God show up and answer the many prayers of God's people for Drew and his godly family? Obviously, that night, I did not understand God's thoughts. When God's thoughts and ways don't make sense to us, it's during those times that we feel we can pick and choose whether or not we want to obey. By the way, James addresses this problem in James 1, 22, when he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just so you know, in the first century, the original word for listen or listeners was used to refer to one that audits a class. You can always tell who's auditing a class. They're sitting in the back, chilling out, no pressure. They don't have tests. They're just auditing the class. Unfortunately, in the same way, some of us who attend church every week, we're just auditing the class. We're just auditing Christianity. We're not applying what we know, what God's word says. And just James says, don't do that. Don't deceive yourself. By the way, the Greek word that James uses for deceive means Arriving at a conclusion by false reasoning. You know, it is false reasoning to think that you will become what God wants you to become without living out what you're learning from his word. The road to spiritual maturity is not about how much you know about the scriptures. It's about doing what you do know. 
It doesn't matter how much you know, but do what you do know. We then study for more. So where exactly did Eve go wrong? Well, first, she, li- she listened to Satan's words when she already knew what God had said clearly. We really have no right to be too hard on Eve, though, because don't we do the same thing? You know, there are certain decisions in life we don't need to pray about because God has already given us the answer. We just need to obey God. If a Christian young man is debating whether or not to marry that cute, sweet, little, Christian girl, little non-Christian girl, he doesn't need to pray about that. Because God has already said, believers should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, he can pray for the strength to obey God, but there's no need for him to pray for what's right. God will not change his mind. God will never lead you in a decision that is contrary to his word. Never. Secondly, Eve placed herself in the wrong place. Many of us do this too. By walking close enough to the tree to see the fruit and even close enough to touch it. Scripture tells us to run from temptation because God knows we are not strong enough to resist temptation on our own. We need the power of the Lord in our lives. Do not walk right into temptation. Be smart. Just turn away and go the other way. Again, Genesis 3, 6 says, when, a woman, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. Now, why did Eve think that fruit would give her wisdom? Can't figure that one out. Where did she get that crazy idea? She got it from the deceiver. Psalms and Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All we have to do is ask God for it. Next thing that Eve did wrong was she believed Satan's words and used his lies to justify disobedience. Most of us ourselves are experts at justifying. If we want something badly enough, We can always find a way to justify it. However, in God's eyes, it is not about what we want, how we feel, or what we believe will make us happy. It's all about obeying God. Eve multiplied the problem by bringing Adam into her sin. Misery loves company. We can all think of situations where the sin of one person brought deep hurt into into the entire family. Drug and alcohol abuse are just a couple examples of that. When there is sin, there are always consequences. Always. Let's look at the consequences that Adam and Eve suffered. First came the separation from God. Adam and Eve were thrown out of the amazing garden. By the way, if you've never seen the Sight and Sound Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you're missing a real blessing. 
It is well worth the trip. They perform amazing plays about Bible stories. The first play my wife and I attended was about the creation in the fall. How they demonstrated the effect that sin had on Adam and Eve's relationship with God and what it did to the creation, God's creation, was very thought-provoking. They went from enjoying the amazing garden that provided their every need, walking with God's creatures, and personally knowing the presence of God, to living in the desert, laboring hard for food, fearing the sound of wild animals, and missing God's presence. What a huge price to pay for disobedience. The second consequence was the devastation brought upon every generation since the garden. With violence, illness, war, and death. Adam and Eve had no way to predict the tremendous suffering and pain they unleashed on us all. No way. Thirdly, God's perfect creation was suddenly ravaged by the presence of sin. It changed God's perfect world. Adam and Eve's story could have ended differently if they had just done one thing right. Believed God's word. What would today be like if they had? How would our lives be different if we were better at believing God's word? This account in Genesis should serve as a strong reminder to us as believers that it is imperative that we know, believe, and act upon God's word faithfully. Let's look at this book, God's Word. I hope you're in this word. I hope you're reading this word. I hope you're studying this word. This word, this book, is one book made up of 66 books written by man over 2,000 years ago. But this book is eternal, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's Word will never cease to exist. It will never change. 2 Timothy 3.16 states that, this is, that God's Word is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we are to be the man and woman that God has designed us to be, we must be in this word. This word is the story of God's loving plan of redemption. The Old Testament points believers to the coming Messiah. The Gospels teach of the birth life, death, and resurrection of Christ and the saving grace of his blood. Most New Testament books look back to Christ and his redemption. Revelation tells us of Christ's second coming as king and judge and of Satan's ultimate defeat. God's word is a history book, a poetry book, a love story, a book of hope, a book of truth, a book of salvation, and a book of judgment. We need to be reading this book. 
God's word should be the foundation of our society. And we all know that our country was built upon biblical principles. George Washington said, is it impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible? John Quincy Adams said, the first and almost the only book deserving of universal attention is the Bible. I speak of a man of this world and I say, search the scriptures. Franklin Delano Roosevelt says, we cannot read the history of the rise and development of the nation without reckoning the place in the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of this republic. Most of our early educational institutions were also founded on God's word. Fisher Ames lived in the 1700s says, a founding father who worked on the Bill of Rights, we are spending less time in the classroom on the Bible, which should be the principal text of the schools. William Holmes McGuffey, 1800s, in a Christian country, that man is pitied who at this day can honestly object to imbuing the minds of youth with the language and the spirit of the word of God. God's word should be the foundation of our homes and of our personal lives. Luke 6, 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When the floods came, the torrents struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. With God's word at the center of our lives, we have the deep foundation which we can live our successful Christian lives. Turn to John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. You should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The word abide simply means to dwell in something. Are you dwelling in God's word? I think that's what God wants us to do is to dwell. Lastly, in order for us to stand in these days in which we live, we must do four things to make God's word the foundation of our lives, our homes, our schools, our churches, our country. Four things. We must abide in God's word consistently. We must believe God's word firmly. We must obey God's word diligently. And we must teach and preach God's word faithfully. Without a firm foundation, no house will stand. Ask yourself, are you abiding in God's word? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to open up your word. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for giving us an opportunity to have time of fellowship together. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon this church. Help it to be the light on the hill, Lord, and continue to reach out into Sanford and be a witness for you. Lord, we love you. Bless our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.